This episode of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike is brought to you by Dream Symbols, manufacturers of handmade, hand-hammered symbols at very affordable prices. So please follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for at Dream Symbols and check them out. What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 114 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host who will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. After Mike and I get all caught up, we'll talk a little bit of education. We'll talk about faking double bass patterns if you're a single pedal player. Our featured artist this time is a good friend of mine, Mr. Joe Arrington from the band A Lot Like Birds. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out the Danette Rezo Tone and Rezo 2 drumheads. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Yep. It's episode 114. It's a beautiful day. It's a, beautiful fall day. Is. Do you get like is fall a, there? I mean, what's the deal? All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> what is it, like 85 and bright and sunny? No, no, it's like 78 and bright and sunny. <laughs> Although I'd say three quarters of my state is uh, on fire. Oh, yeah, uh, so ashy. huge uh, thoughts and yeah, ashy thoughts and prayers to everyone affected by that. This is, I mean, we have our fire season, right? It's always at the end of summer and you'll get some Southern California wildfires. Generally, you you might be dealing with massive fires that's uh, not great for our ecosystem, but rarely are we seeing the destruction of of communities and homes. But this time, it was like every corner of California was like, oh, it's going on in L.A., and then there's one yeah, going on in freaky. Northern California. And then, I mean, honestly, not that I, I don't drink, so this doesn't matter to me on this level, but a huge part of where I live is Napa. You know, we're an hour mm. away from Napa, and that's wine country, and everyone goes there for stuff. And there's vineyards that are just wiped out. So, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. So I, uh, thoughts and prayers to everyone affected by those fires. I know that even, uh, one of our good friends, Tommy Ricard, uh, his parents' home was lost in the fire. So just, just chaos, man, just chaos. But, uh, it's been a chaotic year, right? I know. It's like every year I'm like, man, I can't wait for this year to be over. I'm like, dang, they just upped the ante again. (laughs) I know. And I feel like, I feel like like mother earth is like okay i i crushed you guys with this thing last year let me show you this thing that you guys forgot all about yeah and yeah. you know because it's like uh, it's 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 crazy so our job and the the job of this podcast is to take people away from that and give them a vacation from reality and let them live in our little moronic drummer heads for one hour <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> i mean really on the, on the best of days i feel like my maturity level hits like a 13 year old Male. That's yeah. like that's on a good day when I'm really day. kind of crushing my responsibilities. <laughs> yeah, I mean we're Today, s- we're all well prepared and organized, and we've got this show ready to roll. <laughs> so well prepared that I was, as you can see, have you ever seen me in a white T-shirt? No, it's pretty bright, man. It's pretty bright. It's pretty bright. This is what I was wearing when I texted you from the gym, and I got my little notification that was like podcast today. I'm like, no, I'm at the gym. <laughs> And so I had literally lifted like half of one weight. I was in like the middle of like curl number one, rep one. And when I got that notification and I texted you, I'm like, do we have a podcast today? 
Yep. And I was yep. like, I'm leaving the gym now. So <laughs> even the person at the front desk was like, quick workout. I'm like, hur, hur. Efficient. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, dude, I just came to scan the, you know, scan the scene. It's like, you guys are having a good gym day. There's some fit people in there. I'm out. So anyways, uh, yeah, not the most responsible of human beings. And that's our role in your world. Uh, if you are a listener, you know that we are just here to 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 let you indulge in this crazy thing that we all love, this frustrating instrument that also brings us all so much joy. How's everything with you, bud? All's good. I mean, most importantly, how's the release of the EP? I mean, we haven't talked about that <sighs> yet. That's well, first of all, out stressful is all hell. Yeah. Um, because I didn't, I haven't released music without a label ever. I didn't know you couldn't just press a button and it was out there. They were like, <laughs> I did it on the 15th. Like I said, I would. And then they were like, your release will hit stores in 24 to 36 hours. I'm like, oh. no, no. I said it was coming out today. I pressed the button. I don't understand. I did my job. I pressed the button. It says release. So, uh, apologies to those of you that were like, Hey, it's the 15th. Where is this thing? Uh, but the the reaction I was definitely myself Dean and Q were not ready for the reaction of just like you know I mean we ha- I haven't released anything new in ten years so to have people say things which I'm sure if you're a musician this is normal but like hey I've I've had it on repeat all day I've used it while coding new software it's just been on a loop and I'm like <laughs> whoa <laughs> whoa you know I mean I've I've been I get freaked out when somebody's like, I watched your lesson twice. That's my world. You know? So, so yeah, it's been really cool. The response has been great. Uh, Minel's support in it. I mean, that's just Yeah, insane. that video looks awesome. What do they do to make the contrast so interesting? I mean, what is that um, technique? I think, well, there's a lot of things going on there. So if we want to get into the nerd side of it, um, those cameras do that. So he's using uh, the Panasonic GH4s and the GH5s. So the Panasonic... 4K cameras, instead of flattening the image like my Canon cameras do, uh, which gives it more of a film look, they give it more of a vivid, uh, you know, ultra surreal look. Yeah. Um, so if, if you're looking for that look, go with a Panasonic GH4 or GH5. You can probably pick up the GH4s now for pretty cheap. The only thing I would warn is it is a micro four-thirds lens. So if you have a bunch of Canon lenses, you'll have to either get a Metabone speed booster or you'll just have to get new lenses. Have we out wow. the audience yet? I mean, I think that might be the first time my eyes glazed over on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry. I'm like, what uh, are you talking about? <laughs> well, just so you know, it, we have our drum nerd speak. That doesn't end when it comes to cameras. It gets way worse. So anyways, there is that. There's also the fact that the the lighting in the background itself. I mean, I had this really cool bent shape uh, of like wood behind me with holes in it. Then I've got blue walls on each side of me uh, with blue light. And then I've got white walls on each side of that. So there's so much going on um, behind me. It's, I mean, it was just a great setting to be. It actually looked like that when you were there. So they did a great job. Um, the team that uh, Minel uses, it's always the same team. They all shoot all the stuff for Chris Brewer over at Minel. And uh, they're led by a guy named Spencer. And he just does his job really, really well. So um, it looks when great. I saw it the video, you know, when you, when you do that much work, and then for me as somebody that's fully in control of all of my video content, I do all the editing, all of the color correction, to leave video content up to someone else is not cool by me. Like I really kind of freak out about it. And you know, yeah, but what, I, what I liked oh, about it was it didn't look like stuff that you produce. It looks totally exactly. different. 
which is yeah, cool. I thought that was really cool, and um, yeah, they did a great job. I, I couldn't be more happy. So I actually did about ten videos. So there's the three men on the moon videos. Then there's like five or so lessons that mine will be putting out. And then there's a few um, kind of symbol explanations, like why am I using this with this project mm-hmm. and what is it bringing to the table? You know, I, I, th- I thought it was important to talk about, okay, I have a signature ride symbol and yet primarily in this band I'm playing on a ride that isn't my own. Why is that? And I wanted to explain mm. that. And and I also wanted to give people, especially rock drummers, the freedom to know that it's okay to have two ride symbols on your kit at the same time. Not just own them, but to have two of them. Uh, I really don't need more than one crash. I have my crash to my right, right, and then I have two rides. You know, And you're using it as a ride, not as a crash. Correct. Yeah. And I think, obviously, all of our jazz listeners are like, why would you have to explain that to anyone? <laughs> Trust me, rock drummers would never consider that. Um, so, wait, lose a crash for another ride? No way. Now, I got my Sabian Mega Bell ride. I'm good to go. <laughs> the snare was really cracking. Was that the chrome over brass? Chrome over brass, <laughs> no dampening, angel hoops. And uh, <laughs> yeah, the once again, the, the producer, when he heard the kit by itself, he's like, I don't know about that snare. <laughs> and then I said, can I just play one song for you? And then he was like, I think sounds pretty good. What is that? <laughs> oh, man, dude, I got to tell you about the dream I had last night. It was so absurdly dorky. <laughs> So I, Bring it. I was dreamt I was in a recording session. I'm not going to name who it was with. It was with someone I work okay. with often. But he kept like, instead of giving me constructive criticisms, like that snare just sounds terrible. Like it's oh. it dead. What's up with it? And I was like, all right, let me change it up. Let me tighten it up. I was like, yeah, it just still sounds like crap. I was like, all right, well, <laughs> let me let me swap it out and put another drum up. And I put another drum up that was exactly what he was requesting. And he goes. Well, I guess that doesn't sound worse. <laughs> nice compliment. So then I just like, I literally, I've never in my life have freaked out. I freaked out through my six sounds. said, this session is over. I'm out of here. And then I woke up. You you went temper tantrum. <laughs> I went like, nice. I was like, I will never work with you again. I'm out of here. You can't deal with that snare drum, then you can't deal with me. <laughs> it was amazing. And Dawson out. What made it kind of really ridiculous is then after I stormed out, it was like I couldn't find my gear, so I couldn't leave. I was just like stuck there. Like, where That's are my cases? Worst. Where's my stuff? That I is just want to get out of here. <laughs> I've done that a few times. Like, stormed out, got to the car, and I was like, tell me my keys are not on her coffee table. <laughs> tell Or his. You know, I mean, we're not talking about a situation that I had personally. Uh, Anyways, uh, speaking of snare, speaking of snare drums, uh, I have to thank you because you are the birthday present whisperer. Oh, right. Uh, You you advised my (laughs) wife on what vintage snare drum to get me and you advised my mother on what uh, record player to get me. So, yeah, well, dude, you knocked it out of the park, man. It was like it was like meant to be with that snare because I can't remember what what she initially asked me it was like he was talking about wanting to get this drum that he had when he was like the first drum he ever had let me see if i can find it and i found it for sale like there it is get it like that's it that's the drum it like it just no happened way. i think it went on sale that day <laughs> like on reverb <laughs> yeah yeah and i mean it, it's crazy because it's both the snare and the record player I was telling my mom last night, because, oh, by the way, you're awesome at keeping secrets, because I showed you the snare on my actual birthday, but I didn't get my present from my mom until last night. <laughs> I can't believe I, when I showed you the snare, any normal person would have been like, and what about the record player? <laughs> and then I would have been like, what record player? And you would have been like, oops. So anyways, <laughs> you're awesome at keeping secrets. But 
that snare and the and the LP player are both one step removed from me buying them myself. Meaning uh-huh. that like I want them so bad, but am I going to go out of my way to go on Reverb and find that Slingerland? Yeah. Dude, 19 May 1958 Slingerland snare drum, <laughs> blue duco finish. It's the last snare that I bought for myself that I had to sell cuz I didn't have enough money to keep it. Yeah. So, I never even got to really know it cuz I bought it at a time where I just, you know, I, honestly I bought it the same year that eBay launched. That was one of the first things I ever purchased when eBay became a company. Oh, wow. Cool. So that's how long ago I bought that thing. And uh, yeah, and then I, I kept it for like a month or so. And I just really, I was like, I I need gas money. I can't afford to keep this. Oh, and so I sold it on eBay like a, a month and a half later. I never got to know it. But dude, it sounds amazing and it records even better. It actually isn't just a cool piece of vintage gear. It brought something new to my setup that I don't own. So thank you very much. Man. Yeah, it should match with the broadcaster really well since it's a three-ply. It does. Yeah, yeah, it sounds amazing, and it's in great shape. And uh, I really appreciated that it was shipped. The guy who shipped it did a great job. Claws and hooks were all in a little bag. Um, I'm sorry, claws and tension rods were all in a little bag. But there were no heads on it, even though he shipped it with heads. Mm. So when I when I received it as a birthday present... It was wide open for me to look at the shell and oh, feel the bearing cool. edges, and I was just like, "This is—I don't even have to take it apart." So it's—it's it's great. And then, uh, by the way, what do you call a record player? Is it a record player or turntable? A turntable. Okay, <laughs> I was very new to that, um, and I remember being so bummed in Ireland because Mark and Ash were like, "Oh, there's a bunch of cool vintage record shops here in Dublin." Let's go out. And I was like, I'll just stay at the hotel and play my MP3s. <laughs> Do they have download versions? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm going to stream some music from Spotify. <laughs> so, uh, so, anyways, the fact that you recommended the one that you did, as soon as I got it, I went online just to look at different turntables. And that is like the one. I couldn't find yeah. a single website that didn't say that that was the one in that price range. So thank you very much. And it's the only thing I would never, it's an Audio Technica. That's the last thing I would contact my endorsement to be like, hey, right. hey, by the way, can I have a free one of these? <laughs> um, and they'd be like, sure, what are you using it for? To listen to music uh, in my house? I'm going to make loops, and I think by, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think by listening to it in my house, you'll sell a lot of them. They'd be like, no. <laughs> That's like me calling Yamaha and be like, hey, I know I'm an electronic artist. Can I get a jet ski like tomorrow? Yeah, Because right. it's wicked hot here. Uh, I, I've never pulled that card either. Anyway, so thank you for that. Um, and it and now I have a reason to press uh, vinyl for Man on the Moon. Yeah, perfect. And welcome there to the go. new obsession of vinyl. You're going to get into all the nuance of different weighted records and everything, and good luck. (laughs) You know what, though? I'm kind of excited to go from watches financially backwards to snare drums, then financially upwards to outboard gear, and now way backwards to LPs so that I can be like, oh, I spent 30. That's a lot. Yeah, right. That would be awesome. I would love to do that. (laughs) So anyways... uh, we need to get this podcast started. Indeed. Where are we at? So education. We're going to play some double bass. Yes. So there is an article. But with in, one pedal. What is the issue? We're talking about the Tracool issue with November. Matt Starr, who's a great drummer, he's out with, who's he out with? Mr. Big, I believe. Nice. Uh, he wrote an article on some of his ways that he can kind of simulate double bass on a single kick. So if you want to check out some of his. He actually, I think he transcribed some beats from like classic rock records and some of his ideas. It was a bunch of, it's not like the obvious, like here's 10 exercises to develop it. It's more like here's some musical applications. So we should dig into just like fundamental, like what do you do to kind of build a double bass sound with single kick and floor top essentially. 
Um, oh, I'm looking at Mike Johnston. Um, <laughs> how to play double bass with one foot from 2006. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I I actually is that online? Is the, all the exercises on I, there? Yeah, I'm trying to I'm I'm trying to find it right now um, so that I can send it to you. But the Legally one thing online, yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lot of them. A lot of people ripped off the video and then re-uploaded it themselves. So I'm trying to find my version because yeah. I I purposely left it up online because I wanted people to see. You know, I wanted them to see the growth that it takes to go from your very first YouTube video um, on. Okay, so 11 years ago, 1.1 million views. That's sad. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> that's sad that that topic drew a million views. Um, wow, I must have made it private too. It's got zero comments. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you were in like- don't tell me what you think of this <laughs> mode. <laughs> I, I really was, yeah. Uh, so anyway, so... I use this quite a bit. It, I, I learned one by Metallica using this technique, which is essentially for me, and I haven't seen Matt Starr's article, so I'm, it might be something very different than what I was doing. But I did it as using my 16-inch floor tom. That was actually my right foot. And then my bass drum with my right foot was my left foot. So if I was going to play, you know, digga digga duh, it would be right kick, right kick, right kick, left, you know, digga digga digga, mm-hmm. or that'd be digga 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 da. Um, so, and then I started working on my double stroke rolls and my paradiddle diddles all between my hands and my foot. So for me, I just used a, a low tuned floor tom and a bass drum to make double bass patterns. And then eventually I was able to play one by Metallica. So and that is doubles or singles? I did that as singles, but then I took it to doubles and went, and so it was like, so it was really a nine stroke roll between my right hand and my right foot. Ah, right. Okay. Um, so that's kind of how I built all that stuff up. And then what, uh, what happened was I went into the studio to record my first album with Simon says, and I did it as a joke. And the producer just jumped in on the mic. Uh, he was, you know, we we're at ocean way. So he's like 200 yards away from me in the control room. And he's like, what the hell was that? And I was like, oh, I was just messing around, man. And, and he was like, but you don't have a double bass pedal. I'm like, no, I do not. And he's like, uh, that has to be on the album. And then, uh, yeah. And then I, so I put like an ostinato over the top of that with my left hand going while doing between my hand and my foot. And then I think it was a magazine, not named Modern Drummer, but a magazine from America that ripped me to pieces on the album review saying that I overdubbed it. Oh, great. That's because they heard awesome. it as double bass chops with an open and closed hi-hat that wouldn't be possible while your left foot is busy on the double bass pedal. And I remember being really like hurt. Uh, I was like, I practiced for 20 years. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> That's so what gives us journalists a bad name when you don't do your due diligence and figure out what the heck was going on for real. Yeah. So, and I, I would assume anyone that worked at that magazine then doesn't work there now so nothing against them now by any means it was just one of those things where i was like oh man that sucks like we produced it too well (laughs) and we you know because i really tuned my floor tom low and we worked on the attack so it was very bass drum like so anyways what is matt talking about in this article so he's got he's basically taking some some beats like a cult song called bad fun 
Um, and he's doing kind of what you're talking about, alternating the floor tom and the bass drum mm, in that cool. beat. Um, and then there's another one that is kind of right foot heavy, but he's doing one E, a two E, a three E, a four E, okay. and then filling in the ands to make it sound like double bass. A lot oh, of like, cool. like paradiddle things. I think the paradiddle sticking is probably what I would do the most often, so it's kind of like symmetrical. Yeah, it, you know, you have to sit there and figure out. There's two things, because I used to teach this, and I even have a book called How to Play Double Bass with One Foot. Oh, yeah. It's the first book I ever wrote. Where and is I it never now? Pub- I never published it, and here's the reason why. I got so scared. I was just making the bridge from touring musician to teacher slash clinician. I got so scared that if I put it out, I'd have to promote it. And to promote it, I'd have to go do clinics on it. And I didn't want to be the guy playing a gimmick. Like, yeah, right. I just, I was like, I don't, (laughs) I almost feel like I could put it out now, now that I've established myself. But at that time I'd be the guy doing a bunch of stuff that honestly was a kind of a, it wasn't a joke to me, but I I really didn't do it in my playing that much. It was like, all right, if you need, if we're going to mess around at practice and play this Pantera tune, I can, I can get us through it, Mm -hmm. you know, without a double kick pedal. So anyway, so. Uh, someday I'll send you the book because it's quite hilarious. <laughs> the, cover, the graphics for the cover in uh, 1999 were pretty dope. But uh, but anyways, with this thing, I think the biggest thing when you guys are trying out there trying to emulate a double bass sound, it's it's not how low your floor tom is. That's what I thought it was originally. I can do this with a 12 inch tom. It's attack. Getting your to hit your stick in the way and attack the drum in the way that you do with your foot is not an easy thing. I, I find it. I find when I do it in clinics now as kind of a joke, uh, it works fine with my 14 inch floor tom. It's the attack. It's hitting the drum mm. right. And then the other thing for you, like you said, I probably do a paradiddle. It's not. It's not even spacing the sound because you can make the sound work either way. It's what do you feel comfortable leading with, right? And so, are you going to start with kick, and that becomes your one and three in a paradiddle form? Or are you going to start with your right hand, and that's your one and three in a paradiddle form? So. It's, it's really about where do you start, where do you lead, and who's the lead foot. Because even in double bass, with the greatest double bass players in the world, they're still leading with one of their foot for a re- one of their feet for a reason. So you have to figure out, now that it's hand and foot, which who's the lead and who's the slave beater, really. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I have a hard time, because um, I know a lot of guys talk about like transitioning from single kick to double kick, and they just move their left foot from the hi-hat to the left bass drum pedal. Uh-huh. Uh, I can't do that. Like you think it'd be logical just to pump eighth notes with the left foot on the second pedal. I can't it's do such it. a different pedal. Yeah, it's, like it's I, not I, even I have like to related with the right foot if I'm going to do anything double kick sort of related. Oh, I see what you're saying. So you're saying because that's actually how I play double. If I sit down on JP's kit, I do. I lead left footed and then fill in with my dominant foot. Yeah, I have more. Oh, so you're saying. If you were doing eighth notes on the hi hat and then jump to double bass, it doesn't then you have work. To switch the lead. Yeah, it doesn't wow. work. It doesn't work for me. I can't. I can't okay. take the you know the timekeeping of the left foot on the hi hat. Just move it over to the double pedal and then fill in the wow. rest of the notes. It it just falls apart. I don't know why. That's funny, man. I have no idea why. So I have to just think of it. All right, I'm playing double kick. It starts with the right foot. Right. Not that I'm well, I th- doing that often, I, but I did sure. a lot. Sure. I think the key to what Matt's talking about and what I was teaching, I guess. <laughs> on YouTube in 2006, which, by the way, I did not invent this by any means, so um, I'm sure it's been done forever. But I think the key to it is, do you have a use for it? So now yeah. that I'm 11 years removed from doing that, I do it 
all the time. It's just that I do it so short, nobody really notices it. I always do a five-stroke roll between two hits on the floor, two hits on the kick, and then a snare. Oh, yeah. I do that all the time going into a a backbeat. It's like that is the shortest form of what I spent years working on, but I actually use it quite a bit. It's in my soloing all the time. Um, so yeah, so even though I kind of look back at this and go like, oh, what the hell was I doing? Like, that's, that's just, <laughs> well, it's when so you, I think it's when you like segregated it away from just your normal vocabulary. Now I'm shifting into simulating double bass mode. That's right. Different mentality. Yeah. And I think that's a really cool dynamic exercise. I mean, even just to get used to that, you know, the double bass first groove that you learn of just constant 16th, just doing that between hand and foot and really trying to get the dynamic square so that it's not and it's not but it's you have to really, really work on that. You know, the first time I heard this was great exercise. When I was in Philly in the early 2000s, it was when, you know, like Spanky and some of those guys were still in town. Okay. And it was the first time I heard f- guys using the floor tom like a bass drum. Like they, yeah. they tuned it super low. I was in like straight ahead jazz modes. So everything was open and high and resonant. But right. their floor tom was like barely on, maybe finger tight. And they would have like, mm-hmm. a, like a whole roll of gaff tape on it. Yeah. So they what I recall, they weren't doing a lot of like kick heavy patterns, but just using their hands on the floor tom with the kick interspersed and it still sounded like they were ripping double bass. It was a yeah, cool sound. Yeah. It was definitely a cool sound. Absolutely. And I remember seeing Spank and Chris Dave both do things where they'd break up the bass drum pattern between so you'd have your normal kick pattern in a in any kind of tune. But then they would say, Okay, but these two notes will be played on the floor tom and then it just gave it this depth that we love on the other side of the kit from matt chamberlain where it's like what hats are those what how many snares is he playing it was on the right side of the kit and it was just this thing of like wait why if you're gonna play doom cat cat why was the first hit on the floor tom and it was like boom cat oh yeah right booms and it was like wow man okay i could really use this so instead of simulating double bass it was just the idea of using your floor tom as an auxiliary bass drum. Yeah. And uh, yeah. very cool stuff. But I think it would be beneficial to any drummer to sit there and, and find a, a classic rock bordering on the um, edge of metal song and think, okay, could you play this part with a single pedal? And, you know, unless it's really slow, you're going to say, no, I can't. Okay, well, before jumping to a double pedal, try to break it up between floor tom and and right foot. The other thing this brought me was to play anything between floor tom and right foot. Someone still needs to be playing the hi hat and snare, and that became my left hand. And it really built up my left hand lead because mm. I was always playing left handed to to achieve this result. Now, do you use the open sound to compensate for the missing note, or you chomp the foot to fill it in? Both. Um, the one thing I love having any kind of opens at all because that throws people off the scent of like, wait. So that can't be double bass. He's opening and closing the hi hat. Uh-huh. So I do like having like a little, but no, I kind of find that like losing that hi hat, you're getting a floor tom there usually with the snare. And it's not overly noticeable. So yeah. it just it really depends. But I, I think that that's the fun is like trying out. Okay, I don't have the gear that this person recorded this album with. How am I going to make this work? You know, I mean, learning um, Tom Sawyer by Rush when you have a three piece. <laughs> and it goes dun, 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 and it goes down like nine toms. I'm like, well, I guess I just stay on the top one for a half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, ha- you know, like what am I going to do? 
I don't have nine times. Oh, man, I see that almost every month at jam sessions. I'm like, can you just not do Rush songs? I mean, come on. I mean, it just doesn't sound right because, no. I mean, he's just playing 30-second notes, just playing, but they're fast 30-second notes. But when you take away the melodic movement of the drums, it's like, then it's just, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, there's there's two things that I don't like to hear in, in cover bands. It's Rush and The Police. It's like, mm. unless you really know what you're doing, please don't do this because and you it's really so sing nuanced. It. I mean, the singing is really, both of those are so high. Man, you know, I, I was just talking to a, a, a camper here and he was saying, he's like, yeah, it's just the cover band's cool, but I mean, we just keep sing, picking these songs and I don't know, my singer just can't do it. I'm like, do you understand what you're saying? Like, <laughs> we just have to learn beats. They have to recreate their vocal cords every song. Like that's insane to even ask a cover artist to do that. You know, that's why it's probably easier to be like, "We are a Chili Peppers tribute band." Cool, find a person that yeah. can sing like Anthony Kiedis, and you're done. But going from Anthony Kiedis to Barry White to Boom Boom Pow by the Black Eyed Peas, <laughs> switching singers five times in the song, <laughs> jeez. So to all you cover artist singers, I love you, man. <laughs> And women. You're awesome. <laughs> hey, so so anyways, the emails keep coming in. We've gotten, it looks like 15 strong interests in the drum camp. So I don't know what, how many more we need, but we're getting there. That, that puts us in a good place. We need to, uh, I talked to Carter about it yesterday. He said he had some good interest from his master class that he did in New York. There were some people there that said, hey, if you guys do that, count me in, which is great because he's dealing with obviously a group of people that are localized and don't have to book flights. Right. Makes it a little bit easier, more affordable for them. Guys, this is uh, definitely, if you are interested in this, please let us know. MDinfo at moderndrummer.com. Just title the email drum camp and let us know that you're seriously interested. Uh, interested in attending a camp between myself, Mr. Dawson here, and Carter McLean, and then we can get it on the books and and let you guys know more details. Dig it. So let's we want to shift into your buddy Joseph. Is it does he go by Joe or does he go by Joseph? Joe. Joe Arrington. Joe. Yeah. He's like a, I don't know. Well, okay. So here's a weird thing. I was texting. We were talking last night. Totally not related to the podcast at all. And we're just having our normal conversation like you and I would do before we had to end our friendship due to the podcast because <laughs> you and I can't talk anymore because it's like, save it for the show. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so Joe and I were talking last night and I realized, okay, everything we're about to talk about on this podcast, I don't know anything about it because our friendship is completely outside of his band and my teaching. Like we know nothing about each other's professional lives because we're friends on a friend level. Oh, wow. So I'm like, well, I everything I know about Joe, I can't talk about. Like It's like our personal buddy <laughs> stuff. Um, so I, so Joseph Arrington or Joe Arrington, if you guys haven't checked him out, you should. He's in a band called A Lot Like Birds, but he's played with a ton of other people. Um, Might have seen him on tour uh, two years ago with Chiodos. I think he uh, took over for uh, Thomas Pridgen okay. there. And so... He's, I remember, let me just give you guys the backstory. So he's a Sacramento drummer. And I remember about three or four years ago, some of my friends that were teaching at the, uh, at the school that I started, the drum lab, I had sold that about 10 years ago. And they were telling me, hey, there's a new teacher at the lab. His name's Joe Arrington, and he's a freak. And, and everyone was saying, I think you should meet him. I think you guys would really get along because he's one of those drum drum guys. And I'm like, yeah, cool, man. Sounds great. And my thought, it, first of all, I was like, how is there a drummer in town that's at that level that I don't even know about, which always bums me out because mm. I want to be in the scene. But Sacramento can be a little clicky at times. So anytime, anyways, uh, about a year went by. I kept hearing about this cat and and whatnot. And 
people were telling him he should come over here and hang out. But we're both kind of shy people. So eventually I just got his phone number and reached out to him. I said, dude, can we just get together and hang? Like, And he came over here uh, maybe two or three years ago and immediately it was like drum brother. Mm. Finishing each other's drum nerd sentences, <laughs> you know. And like I'd say Gira, he'd say Baldy. You know, it was just like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> this is my dude. Um and he's actually the one, um, you'll relate to this, he's the one that introduced me to the book uh, Rhythm by Billy Martin. Oh, That's what he was. Nice. He was working on that, and he was working on Dave Stanek's book. What is that? Uh, Tables of Time, I think? Mastering or? the Tables of Time. Mastering the Tables like Yeah. So he introduced me to those two books, and that let me know, oh, you're in, bro. Mm-hmm. Like, you're really into this stuff. So, you know, the one thing I will say about Joe's playing is that it's, not frivolous it's not random it is so incredibly well thought out and studied on such a deep level that's why when you hear him play it just sounds so confident it's it it is confident because he's not playing his band songs he's playing the drumming that he has practiced his entire life and it just happens to show up in his band songs but if you hear like a cool lick, you need to know that Joe Arrington has that lick and 4,000 variations of that lick. If you hear a cool groove, he can play that groove at every dynamic level. He can swing it. He can play it straight. He goes down the rabbit hole with everything he practices to almost to a Zach Hill point where it's kind of obsessive. Right. But but he still manages to have a little bit of like connectability. Um, and he's not, you know, when you, when you have a conversation with him, he's an in- incredible guy. So have you seen... Any of his clips of him playing? I mean, not until we decided to do the story. It was one of our writers, okay. I think, suggested we do. First of all, what do you call this genre? The Chiodos, a lot like birds. I mean, we. I really have a hard time chopping down subgenres. Like, what is it? Yeah, I think I think it's it's all the way back to 1994. I think it's alternative. You know? Yeah, um, it's sort of metal, sort of melodic, sort of alternative. Like I, I can't put it in a metal world because and it's not, slightly prog. Yeah, it's you got know? some progressive odd time things, and it's really kind of hard to describe. And but I, I, you know what I what I really love about it is I think for the generation that's just now discovering rock for the first time, you know, you, you'll always have a new crew of 15 to 23 year old you know, guys and girls that are just discovering rock and finding their roots. And this is, this is that stuff. This is our primus. Yeah. You know right. What I mean, yeah. And exactly. so there's always going to be the people that are like, Oh, Foo Fighters, that's rock, you know, at, at this time or whoever. But then there's going to be the people that are willing to go out a little bit further and discover a little bit further. And this is the stuff that's going to push them. And what's great is if they're listening to this and they think this is normal, then they're going to play great music when they pick an instrument. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean it's it's not easy music. It's not. I mean, I I grew up on the Ramones. It couldn't be more different than. Right. That's what rock drumming is. It's you know the same right. beat played really fast over and over again, and just <laughs> totally different. Yeah, we just, we're always like kind of beating our heads against the wall. Like, how do you describe this music? Because it's 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 like you just you know it. It's melodic. It's sort of metal. It's sort of progressive. It's sort of alternative. Right. It's you know, it, and it reminds me. I had a <clears throat> when I did that workshop. Where was I? Uh, uh, California. I was at. They did a workshop at the Cal State. Yeah, yeah. And the the assistant that was assigned to kind of just make sure I got to the classroom and everything. She works for a publicity firm that does a lot of EDM and metal. 
So okay. I was, and she's 21. So I was like, all right, we got to sit down. I got to pick your brain. What is metal? Like, what is it? Like, what would you call Metallica? And she said, I call them a rock band. <laughs> right. Totally. No, I mean, compared to now, they, they are a rock band. Right? Yes. So I was Just, like, oh, okay. They're not, even though they kind of define thrash metal for me. <laughs> Right, they're no longer extreme. They're just and not rock. even for you for the genre in general, <laughs> right. you know. But I mean, yeah, same thing. If I if I listen to uh, Pantera now, who uh, that was like a huge band for me. I would almost consider that now to be what I used to consider to be like Striper and L.A. Guns. I'd be like, ah, oh, it's kind of like butt rock. It's like <laughs> what, dude? They were like the forefront of like. Like defying your parents and like that was metal metal. But it's like I hope Vinny Paul doesn't hear this because he's coming after you. <laughs> bro. First of all, Pantera was always very supportive of Simon Says. They, they there were like two bands in the world that liked our band. There was Pantera and uh Limp Biscuit. So <laughs> Vinny, I don't mean it like that. I, what I mean is the genre has been pushed so far because of their influence yeah. that now it's like you look back on it, and it's like, oh yeah, that's kind of, you know. It sounds almost eighties ish. It it isn't by any yeah. means. And I mean, trust me, I'm you could just pick a song and I'll rattle off the Pantera lyrics, <laughs> lyrics for you. So I mean they so I, I was, yeah, Pantera's a good example. Like when I first heard them, it was kind of scary. It was like, whoa, this is a whole level, different level of intensity right. that I never heard. And same thing with corn, like that took alternative to like a whole different level of kind of scariness. Right. But I listen to oh, them now, and I'm like, it's, it's just kind of rock. It's good. It's just rock. It's just rock, yeah. And then, you know, when Pantera came out, and it was the extreme, well, they were the extreme, and then, uh, you know, Slipknot, Mushroom Head, all those bands came out and pushed them down one rung as far as being extreme. And then I remember, <clears throat> with all that stuff, wherever Alternative was, I remember, uh, what was the band... Uh, man i can ah man something about that sucks omar is in the band uh mars volta oh dude yeah okay no the band before that what was the, oh, at what the drive-in yeah geez louise <laughs> i'm like something about scissors at the drive-in oh, yeah. um yeah i remember that came out and i was like well this is the most alternative you'll ever hear ever yeah um and so so anyway so i think a lot like birds is in that thing where measure to measure verse to chorus you're hearing like four or five influences of like oh that's that one little measure was metal-ish right yeah you know they just get this like and then it's over and you're like wait what just happened that was pantera yeah um and i think it's a cool place to be but but if you want to hear some fantastic drumming listen to joe play in a lot like birds because he he really puts a lot into those drum parts and they're and they're flawless. Yeah, uh, you can yeah. you know you can look up Joe Arrington on YouTube and find video after video after video with him um, playing with a lot like birds, and um, it'll give you some examples of what I'm talking about. He's also a Gretsch artist. Uh, he's playing a, a vintage Marine Pearl finished Renown. That's his main kit, mm-hmm. and it sounds fantastic. And what I love about it too is he's got it set up like it's out of the catalog. Total yeah. five piece. Yeah. You know, Small and it's just kid, like really for that world. Yeah, two two crashes, yeah. a ride high. I love his. I don't know if he still has it positioned there. The way his ride symbols positioned, it's it's totally mm-hmm. the way I learned. Like the the Will Calhoun, the the Vinny, the Weckle, like sort of angled mm-hmm. over the second rack tom. I need to go back to that. 
You know why I yeah. don't do that position? Because it blocks my view and I can't see people on stage. Ah, okay. And that kind of bothers me. But I like that. I want to get back into that having like right in your face kind of position. Yeah. And, and if you watch him play the ride, I think the way he plays is actually defined by that that ride position. And it it makes him play some really, really interesting stuff. I mean, this this dude is one of the cats. So I, I'm, as you... I'm sure you can hear my voice as I stammer through my obsession. Uh, he's pretty amazing. So definitely check out Joe Arrington. You can also check out his article in the current issue of Modern Drummer. That's the one that's got uh, Trey Cool on the cover. And uh, and he's also a good dude. I remember how just massively appreciative he was to see that his name was on the cover of Modern Drummer. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he, he just freaked out. And it's all genuine. This dude really is not he he's he's just in the in the shed every day for hours and hours putting in the time so uh no ego whatsoever just a, a good dude so check out we, joe uh, arrington his name yeah. right on the cover <laughs> you did yeah there's a big typo on the cover this month if anyone wants to oh no in. way yeah 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 it was a late production mistake but it, stuff happens it happens but his name is spelled correctly but yeah, That's he's all awesome. That There's some great drum play along playthroughs that he that are online that I think they're awesome. I, mean, I can dig it. Yeah. I, I kind of put him in the, like the Matt Garska world where you can tell he's coming from influences that are well beyond alternative rock and metal. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, I mean that was you know what bonded us together was the books. You know, like he's pulling out the um, uh, Billy Martin book, and I'm pulling out you know uh, all of my. West African rhythms for the drum set books. And we're kind of going through all that stuff. Yeah. And so, um, very, very studied drummer and he's quite dedicated to the craft. He, to me, literally is the definition of the name of your company. He is a modern drummer. So check out Joseph Arrington. And now it is time for a message from our sponsor. It is. So Dream Symbols is sponsoring this episode, and they uh, I talked to Ed over there yesterday, and he wanted to make a special announcement. So PASIC is coming up uh, in about three weeks, November, I think it's 8th through the 11th. And Dream will be at PASIC, and they wanted to make sure if you're going to be attending, it's in Indianapolis this year. Uh, go Make sure you go to their booth. The booth number is 1201. Everything they have in the booth is going to be for sale. So if you, you like a ride symbol, you can buy that one and walk out with it. Uh, so he wanted to make sure we announced that. And also they're going to be giving away some, it's like their 10th anniversary. So they've got some swag and stuff they'll be handing out. Um, they got a new prototype thing that they're going to be debuting there. Um, but most importantly, he said, if any of you listening, go up to him or anyone in the dream booth and mention that you're a modern drummer podcast listener, they will give you a free reFX bell which is pretty Wait cool. Wait a minute. So you just tell them you listen to our podcast and they give you free gear. Yep. They'll give you a free effect symbol right there. Please <laughs> go to Pearl Drums and try that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I would like that reference kit. I listen to the Modern Drummer podcast. <laughs> Mike Johnston said so. Yeah. So that is really cool. It's very cool. Very generous. So they said they're going to have a bunch. I don't know how many. So you might want to get there the first day if you're going. It's booth 1201. Just tell them you listen to the show and they will hand you a symbol. That's really cool. Really cool. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Dream Symbols, for supporting this podcast. And now it is time to get to some candy, some gear review. We don't really uh, – uh, this is a weird thing for me because I, I honestly didn't know that the um, the Danette Rezotone and Rezo 2 drum heads were separate. I thought they were just 
had the Remo logo on them. So yeah. they are not your standard Aquarian. Or Aquarian. They're, they're not your standard not. ambassador. <laughs> they're definitely not Aquarians. Um, they're not your standard ambassador and emperor. No, no. They're using okay. so. Yeah, so it is the net. The company is offering its own drum heads, which are called, and they're available. You know, not just on their drums. You can buy them separately. So they've okay. got the Rezo Tone, which is a single ply head. Rezo Two, which is a two ply head. They are made by Remo, but what they are doing differently is he. Um, I can't remember exactly the backstory, but he he tried some different heads at a show, and and he hit the timpani heads, like the film they use for timpani. Oh yeah, and he's like, I, why aren't you using that for drum set? Like, make some drum set heads with that. So, the Rezo Tone is essentially a timpani head, like the hazy uh, yeah. timpani head. That's essentially what it is. So it's, I mean, what's the sound of it? Maybe a, a little bit darker than a clear, but not as kind of muted as a coated. Uh, yeah, it's. A, I thought I kind of felt it was like here's a here's a non clear alternative to a single ply head. That's not like the smooth white because it's not it's not bright white like a smooth white. It's a little right. bit hazy, so it's kind of like yeah. a, like an old. If you have any really old vintage drums that had the original Mylar heads, they kind of were like translucent gray, and that's kind of right. what these are. So they they sounded great, and the two ply they then they put a clear like a regular single ply over top of that timpani ply. Oh wow! Okay, okay. so the so the timpani ply is underneath the clear. Yeah, exactly. Wow. I, I'm pretty sure. Uh, hopefully, that's not that's not incorrect. So those are the two Tom snare drum heads that he's offering. And if you remember, he also collaborated with uh, Remo to do the the uh, felt tone bass drum mm-hmm. heads. So, which is awesome. Which I think again, I may be mixing up the details, but I think Remo is just offering that in a clear and a fiber skin. But then the net has the sort of translucent hazy version mm. of it. Okay. But they're cool heads. Wow. We don't have any audio, but if you go, I know Carter McLean did a demo of them when he first got them, and there's mm-hmm. there's a few others. So YouTube, you can just search the net Resotone, and you'll get you know some different demos. There's a guy playing like a like big Bonham kit with them, and it just sounds really big and open, like you would expect. Um, they're nice That's heads. Cool. I mean, I know that anything that, yeah, that Ron it's funny. puts his name I mean, on, it's like you know it's going to have a certain quality control. Right, and I, it never even occurred to me. I mean, I grew up just like you in school music, so I'm, you know, uh, half the time in my school music career, I was closer to the timpanis than anything else because when you're not good enough to play bass drum and you're not good enough to play snare drum, then you hold something in your hand, like a triangle or a tambourine, and you stand <laughs> in between timpani and the snare line. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, it never occurred to me that that head must be made out of mylar so why not use that film for something else and i could really see especially people like me where there are times where i really love clear heads and i can't get past i love the sound of clear heads and i can't get past my desire to have the look of coated heads on my kit so maybe this would give me some of that attack and that click for certain situations i'm looking for totally and i mean i like i've used the smooth white ambassador and the smooth white emperor and they kind of give you that same thing but it's just so bright okay. it's like very bright white like that's the right. one thing that i'm like okay that's for me that's better on the front of a bass drum rather than a batter head for, yeah. for whatever you know reason. and i and obviously as an aquarian artist i've never used those heads personally but i kind of feel like there's something to do with coated heads where they are that bright white when you take them out of the box but it only takes like a week until they start kind of muting down yeah. through yeah. stick marks and then just dirt and dust overall and then eventually they get this really cool look where you know 
feel free to go uh, give a, a legit jazz drummer a set of new heads and watch him walk them to the trash can. He's like, <laughs> yeah. are you kidding? It took me 15 years to get my heads to look like this. Yeah, There's no way I'm changing them, them out now. Rubbing brushes on them for like 10 minutes straight just right. to get a little like, bit gray. <laughs> yeah. I remember we did an Aquarian thing here at the facility with uh, our kind of local jazz stud, Tim Metz. And, uh, and when we, and we were just testing out heads and I brought Tim in to, to demo the Jack DeJanette heads and everything else. Cause I'm like, dude, I don't want to, I don't want to do the videos for this. Like let Tim do it. He's a legit jazz player. Anyways, when it was over, Chris Brady was like, cool, you can keep all of those heads. You know, it's like probably 10 sets of different heads. And Tim was like, no, nah, I'm cool, man. And just left. And <laughs> I was like, that's so jazz, man. He's like, I just got my drums to sound the way I want after 10 years. Why would I change the heads? Yeah, exactly. I'm like oh. <laughs> rock, rock guys. Like, yeah, I'll stock all the, I'll, I'll use those in any way I can. Cause I'm about to blow through my Tom head. So, yeah. uh, very cool. We'll definitely check out the Danette Rezo tone, which is the single ply and the Rezo two drum heads. Yeah. They uh, are now, distributed by big bang distribution. So any, that's any dealer that, that has their, their stuff. So if you see like a head sticks and, and that kind of stuff in there, they, they can get the Danette heads. So, Awesome. It's another great option. Ron does it again. There you go. All right. Well, let's, Ron does it again. (laughs) Let's get into some listener questions. Okay. What do we got? We've got this one's from Harold. Uh, I want to upgrade my snare wires, but don't know what the difference between a 20 and a 32 strand set would be. And there's Mm. there's other options. There's not just 20 and 42. So you want to take it? Well, I think you and I would both agree that. the more snare wires you have, the snappier and the more responsive that drum's going to be. It's going to be more, uh, I guess for drum adjectives, it would be more sensitive. So if you have a really thick, like a 42 strand on the bottom, it's going to be extremely sensitive. It's going to be very snappy sounding. Um, and now this is where I would like your input. Do you feel that a big wide snare muffles the drum at all? I mean, it's got to be more stuff touching the bottom head or, or what's your take on that? Uh, Mm, I can't say yes or no because it depends on the snare beds on the drum. So okay, uh, what I've experienced by my own experimentation and disappointment is if you don't have wide snare beds on your drum, the extra wide wires are never going to sit flat. They're going to buzz Good and just point. rattle like crazy. So that yeah. that would be one word of caution. Some drums have you know, narrow snare beds and those wires just aren't going to work right if you get the 42 strand. Uh, but I, f- I feel like it just makes it more white noise that would be the best way mm-hmm. I can describe it the more wires the more white noise so if you want more kind of rattle as opposed to the Gavin Harrison sound which he actually clips some of the wires off of his snare strainer to get fewer yeah, yeah. wires so think of his sound being tight and focused and controlled versus yeah. John Bonham which is just rattling like crazy that would be the and difference. also too on Gavin's thing is you know you you get a lot of the tom sound of the drum coming through when he hits his snare it's not like just the vinny white noise crack it's got a little bit of this like snares off attack to it too Um, and then just with that kind of balanced out with the snappiness of the snare wires what what are you using right now on your snares or do you have different wires on every drum I only have wide snares on a couple drums, like my Ludwig Superphonic deep drum that I want to sound like John Bonham, so I got more wires. Yeah. But in general, I, I go with just standard because I don't the sympath- the sympathetic buzz can be a little crazy yeah. if you're not going for that kind of open rattly sound. Um, and I don't what, think uh, it, it offers enough for me to be like I have to have 42 strands on every drum. Sure, yeah, I have um, 42 on my 14 by five chrome over brass right now. 
and I love it because it's doing what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But and, and Gretsch drums it, all come with that, right? At least the USA, all the USA drums. Yeah, yeah. So, but I I also have um, I'm just looking on their uh, on their store right now. I would say almost all of my snare wires, though, besides those Gretsch ones that came with the drum, are the Pure Sound. What's the norm from Pure Sound? Is it twenty or twenty five, twenty four? I think twenty is kind of standard. Okay, I mean, I think that's those are like kind of my favorites. Um, that's the only thing on that Slingerland snare that Amber got me that I'm going to change out is I have the it has the actual snare wires from 1958, which is cool <laughs> to give it that sound. But they're pretty wrecked. Yeah, they're all bent and <clears throat> uh, and rusted. So I'm going to keep them just uh, for continuity. But I am going to switch out to like just a pure sound twenty. Yeah, so I guess Get that answers a little more it. snap. Right guess, there, you go. I guess we answer it. Next one comes from DJ. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, it says so. From time to time, when asked about technique or things of that sort, you guys will occasionally say that it boils down to what works for you or your desired result. I was wondering, at what extent does that stop being the best option? For example, if somebody were to say, "I don't want to practice this major rudiment because I'm going to find out how I get the same sound without it," uh, even if that means it doesn't sound as smooth. So basically, when can what works for you no longer be the excuse to avoid practice and responsibility? I think the last part of his question kind of boils it down. It could never be an excuse. There is no excuse. Absolutely. No. I, 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 here's always been my thing with my students. You can walk away from it as soon as you can do it. Mm, good point. That's, that's all it is. Like As soon as you rip paradiddles as fast as me, I'll, you can tell me you'll never do them again. And as soon you know, <laughs> I wasn't able to walk away from jazz until I felt that I was proficient as a Sacramento-based drummer at playing. I gave it a go. I really did. I put years of time into The Art of Bop, Beyond Bop, uh, Chapin's book. I, I went to jazz sit-ins. I got to the point where I was like, okay, I can play this well enough to fake my way through any jazz gig. Now I'm going to just say I don't like the genre personally. I don't listen to it. Mm. I don't enjoy listening to it. I listen when I listen to it, it's homework for me. But the other thing I always did, it was always and still reserve the right to change my mind. I look forward to a day, you know, uh my mom when she got me the turntable, she also got me uh my favorite things by John Coltrane nice. on album, you know. Nice. And it was like I couldn't wait to get home and play that in the house cuz it's like, dude, I love that song. I love that exact recording of that song. Yeah. Because it doesn't feel like jazz to me. It's like, dude, it's a song. It's a pop tune, you know? Um, So anyways, I look forward to the day that my ear changes. But I wouldn't have been able to walk away from jazz or say, especially this phrase, jazz sucks. It's like, well, it doesn't. (laughs) It it just is. (laughs) It definitely doesn't suck. It, you know, I wanted to be able to play it proficiently and then say, yeah, it's just not my thing right now. Look forward to visiting it, you know? Yeah, so I think I'd add to that is... uh, I think we're in a culture of education where the student has a little bit too much control. I think that's in everything where yes. if a student is like, I don't want to do it or I, you know, why do I have to learn this? There comes a point as an educator where I think it's our responsibility to say it doesn't really matter if you don't want to do it or don't like right. it or don't see the point because trust me, it's going to be beneficial down the road. Agreed. I also think it's important for the educator to make sure that they can connect the dots for the student. If my student wants to learn uh, and a lot like Birdsong, because they love Joe Arrington, and then they say, yeah, I, I'm never going to use a double stroke roll. 
I'm going to find nine examples of Joe using a double stroke roll. Uh, I'm yeah. also going to use it in in their genre and connect the dots for them. You know. Yeah. So yeah, I guess the short answer is there's never an excuse. <laughs> nope. You got to practice. Next. All right. Next one is let's see. Let's go with. Um, I think we already answered that one last week. This one is from Jeff. Uh, he says. Uh, I have high-frequency hearing loss from target shooting as a kid, uh, and I didn't use earplugs. I don't want to wow. damage my hearing any further, but I'm playing drums in a small room in my in my basement. There are tons of options for over-the-ear isolation headphones, such as direct sound, extreme isolation, and inner options like Ultimate Ears and Gorilla Ears that you and I use. Uh, but he's asking, would inexpensive options like the Shure SE215 or the West Tone um pro 10 give me great isolation with decent sound um and then what would be the pros and cons versus something like those versus the direct sound ex29 uh he's essentially looking to not spend more than 500 bucks or so obviously for the custom mold so he doesn't want to do custom mold he's just looking for a good more affordable option yeah i i I would say that the non-custom in-ears in my personal opinion, because I used all of the Shures for a long time. Isolation-wise, they are not the same. I think a lot of people that are still using it, when you're like, well, this pro uses them, actually they're using them because of the non-isolation that's there, which allows them to hear some of the music and feel like they're still connected to the stage. Yeah, good point. Um, So yes, the sound is there, but the isolation for protecting your hearing is not quite the same. Uh, I think that... A great, great, great set of you know three hundred dollar headphones can do a pretty good job of giving you some hearing protection, but it it just depends. I mean, if you're going to use great hearing protection and then crank the sound that's going into those headphones, yeah, then you're matter. doing just as much damage. So, you know, I'm pretty sure that the entry level custom molds on um, uh, what is it, Ultimate Ears is three ninety nine, and I have those. And I have the $1,400 ones, and I can barely tell the difference. Yeah. So I'm sure Ultimate Ears is going to be like, uh, hello. <laughs> but uh, well, we're it, drummers for, with hearing damage. <laughs> exactly. But on, on a drumming level, I'm not using, I'm not a bass player, I'm not a vocalist. So I'm, I'm missing a lot of frequencies that might actually require that, that extra money. But I'm saying as a drummer, the 399s are awesome. I think they're just called the UE2s, or I don't even know what they're called. Yeah. But the cheapest ones and then i can only assume and maybe you know more about this but i'm assuming that maybe 1964 ears or maybe even a little cheaper yeah yeah you know? yeah i think there's there's plenty of options if you want to go that route of course you got to go to an audiologist and get the molds made which right. is another hundred bucks or so but uh i would say that's certainly a good option i actually use the direct sound ex29s in my studio almost every day uh because for me, the benefit of those is I can very quickly just take them off and set them down. I don't have to worry about these custom old earbuds getting dropping them or stepping on them or sitting on them right. or standing okay, up. So and these are getting headphones. Them in. These are headphones. They're they're basically yeah. like gun muffs with nice. Oh yeah, 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 inside. yeah. I've I've seen these. That's pretty much what I was talking about. Is like as long as you get something like that, you'll be fine. It's just don't crank those to to ten. Yeah, you know to hear. But so you're saying those are. I mean, Vic Firth has one similar. Those Vic Firth ones used to kill my ears back in the day. Yeah, um, I, they're not super I'm comfortable. Talking, yeah, those are okay. Those would be the the option. I think they're the cheapest option. There might be eighty bucks or something. They're fine. They are. But if you practice multiple hours, it's going to exhaust you because they're really crushing your ears. The 
the direct sound the ex29 is kind of they're they're big enough to they go around your ear and just kind of grab okay. your head so they're not crushing your earlobe against your skull uh, yeah i mean and these are in that same price range i can i'm looking at them um i mean they you know anywhere between 120 and going up yeah um but uh but yeah that i, I i've i've seen these for a while but I've, i didn't know what they were called so that sounds like a great option yeah so any one of those would be good so one more we've got from dan um when you're pr- practicing a specific sticking pattern or concept, how many stages of practice do you put it through before you move on? For example, say you're working on a paradiddle, do you straight away start displacing the accent and coming up with different accent patterns, or would you first work on internalizing the sticking without accents to build the speed? In addition, mm-hmm. how many different things would you then do to the concept you've practiced to make it your own before moving on? Or would you would you just work on one or two of your own ideas, or would you try to work through every conceivable thing you can think mm-hmm. of? Isn't that really the trap, right? I mean, we, we could say that you and I still don't have a double stroke roll mastered, which we started on our first week of drumming. Yeah. So should we have spent this entire time of our lives working on a double stroke roll only? So um, the one thing that I'm always looking for when I'm working on new patterns is I'm working on, I'm, I'm trying to figure out one, why am I doing this? So there are patterns that I'm doing because physically my hands are revolting against it. Revolting? Rebelling. Um, (laughs) (laughs) My my hands fold up and they're like, we're calling it a strike. So I think, oh man, if this sticking ever came out of me naturally while drumming, I would have a freeze. My hard drive would freeze because my hands don't like this sticking. So I'm trying to break some of those um, just those set patterns in my hands. Then there's other times where if I'm working on a paradiddle or one of the paradiddle inversions, I'm wondering... Is this usable? And if so, I actually kind of want to master the usability of it more than the 20 variations. Mm. Like, I really want to sit down and go, okay, I love, like, personally, I love the melody of the right hand of an, of an inverted paradiddle. You know, right. in your paradiddle, you get ding, da, da, ding, ding, da, da, ding. And in an inverted, you get ding, ding, da, ding, 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 da, right. da, ding, 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 ding. So I'll, I'll obsess all over the bass drum variations the dynamic variations and everything um, way more than I will trying to make it weird. What about you? Well, I think this is the beauty of drumming. It's a choose your own adventure, you know, like right? I can't tell you Great books, what by to the way. do because you get to decide for yourself what to do. And, mm-hmm. and you can sit on a paradiddle in its normal pattern and take it through a million different subdivisions and displacements of the accents. And it, you're still just playing a paradiddle and that'll take you 10 years and you'll still get really useful musical results if you did the opposite where you start you know coming up with your own adaptations of a paradiddle that you might be replacing those with the bass drum and stuff so i think no one can tell you what to do i know for me personally i kind of like to sit with something and and take it to the point where it I almost get bored with it and then keep going because then inevitably something pops out that I'm like, what was that? And it takes me down a whole right. different path. And then yeah. it can go from like I'm just playing paradiddles and working on speed to by the end of two hours I'm playing something that doesn't sound like a paradiddle at all. But I could trace That's, how I got there. You know, it's funny. That's probably one of my goals when I play something that I, when I learn something new, like a pattern, especially if it's a pattern that's been set in stone in the uh, – you know the drum lexicon forever. I I want to play it to the point that other people wouldn't recognize it in right. its pure form. Right. Like I don't want somebody to go, oh, that was a paradiddle with an accent on one and three. It's like <laughs> I, I want them to go, hey, what was that? And I'm like, dude, honestly, that was just a paradiddle, man. Yeah. I mean that 
I do that all the time when I do um, split up a paradiddle diddle between my right hand and my right foot. And it's great to have, you know, drum gods come up to me and go, do that thing you did. What the hell was that? I'm like, dude, that was literally a paradiddle diddle. (laughs) They're like, what? And what's great too is with like the big kid drummers, they're like, they just try it and they can do it because they're like, oh, I have the skill to do that. I just didn't, I never tried to do that. It's like, cool. You know, so yeah, so I kind of play it until it's unrecognizable, but it's still true to what it was. Yeah. So choose your own right. path, man. <laughs> we can't there you go. We can't guide and you. And if you if you haven't read a choose your own adventure book, get your butt down to the library <laughs> and get one of those. those the only are thing awesome. I remember was if you chose the wrong path, you got eaten by a giant spider. That's the one I just remember yeah. over and over again. Every time. Those, that's <laughs> That was like my favorite. I'm like, cool. Because the thing I loved about that was when doing a book review in class, I tried to die as fast as I could. So my time was up. Cool. Three pages, write the review. And they're like, like literally in my school, they outlawed choose your own adventure books for book reports because we would all try to die as fast as possible. So we didn't have to read the whole book. <laughs> Little window into Mike Johnston trying to get through school as quick as possible so he could get home and play drums. All right, let's get into our picks of the week. Dude, I'm going to let you go first because I love yours. I've never seen this thing, and it seems like what a common thing that should have been made a long time ago. Right? I mean, it's the old old, uh, drummer problem having to carry a beer-soaked, stinky rug to every gig, Mm -hmm. and that's always the last thing you carry in. You get, like, dust all over your shirt. You're like, why am I carrying those stupid things? So I'm I'm always scouring for small, compact uh, options. So one that I've been using uh, just recently, I got it. It's called Stageworks Matt. It's by a company called Stageworks Gear, and they I think they started out making uh, little rubber mats for guitar pedals and keyboard pedals so they wouldn't slide around on the stage. So they just made a, a bigger version that fits perfectly under a bass drum pedal and perfectly under a hi-hat stand. And I've used it on three gigs, different degrees of volume. Zero, zero creep. The, the hi-hat stand never oh. moved. The bass drum never moved. I mean, you have to make sure the bass drum pedal is clamped down to the hoop pretty tight right but no move it didn't go left or right which is sometimes happens when i'm not using a a mat or a rug and the hi-hat was really impressed me it didn't slide at all it just locked in it's basically it's like that that material that you put on your shelves to keep your dishes from falling but it's like a thicker more durable version of it and it's you get two of them for 15 bucks yeah so you can you can get rid of your stinky drum rug and just i actually rolled it up and put it in my bass drum pedal case so i've got two of these in the little bag with my bass drum pedal and i don't have to carry my rug anymore that's awesome and then what about the bass drum itself i mean is is this anchoring your pedal which is then anchoring the bass drum yeah it hasn't moved and i guess you get another set and put it under the spurs if you needed to but i just have the spurs not with the spikes out just the rubber feet and sure it didn't move didn't move at all dude that's awesome yeah super cool so stageworks matt yeah stageworks stageworks gear yeah that's it. Awesome. Very cool. Well, I wanted to, um, my pick of the week is something, it's funny because I mentioned learning jazz and playing jazz, and uh, it's something that we've talked about on this podcast quite a bit, but maybe not in this way. Um, I've been recently revisiting The Art of Bop Drumming by John Riley, um, and I've just made the commitment to go back through it truly as a triplet independence book. And bring up my ability because I'm playing so much stuff now that is triplet based and Mm. I still feel like my triplet vocabulary is quite a bit underneath my 16th note and 32nd note, my straight time vocabulary. Um, And 
it's not the improvisational stuff. Like if I'm flying around the kit and triplets, that stuff, that's almost like licks and chops. It's a different thing. And I have, I put the time in for that. But when it comes to swinging a groove and then having freedom to talk Mm -hmm. between my hand and my foot, I'm pretty limited. So I just thought, okay, that's one of the best independence books out there. We just called a jazz book. I mean, it is a great jazz book, but the reason why it's my pick of the week is I want people to know that just because something came out in a certain way and has a certain connotation to it, it doesn't mean that you can't use it for your own benefits. And there is so much brilliance inside that book. It seems silly for me to say, well, since I'm not a jazz drummer, I'm not going to practice all that anymore. Right. It's like, yeah. no, I'm going to go back. I can read that stuff. It's just triplets. I'm going to go back and read it. And then I've replaced a lot of in, the, in his uh, comping exercises. I've replaced a lot of the swing pattern with just straight eights. And then I'm doing the comping with my left foot bass drum and my left foot underneath the straight eights because that's applicable to my drumming. Mm-hmm. And then I've been doing a lot of it with a shuffle, and that's applicable to my ju- drumming as well, more than the jazz ride pattern. So nice. take old books that you have and find new uses for them that are applicable to what you want to do with this instrument. Great. I mean, that, that book is an absolute classic. Just for the history and the exercises are True. all like real. It's not like he goes through every variation and you're like, all right, I'll never do that one. Every single right. one of his things is like, I could I could use that on a gig today and it'll sound cool. Man, you know, in jazz band back in the day, that was my thing was like, I'm going to learn one John Riley measure. Right. <laughs> and I'm going to drop it on on measure four, you know, while we're playing Take the A Train later today. And it would just be that thing where it was like people would be like, oh, that, that was cool. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> I made it up in my head. You know, something <laughs> so, I, uh, that yeah, talking about taking the jazz language and applying it. When I remember I spent a lot of time, I should probably revisit it, taking like up-tempo Max Roach style comping patterns playing it with mm-hmm. the straighten out the, the A so it's not swinging and and play it like drum and bass like oh, throw nice. in backbeats wherever I could and just use the comping as more of like ghost note chatter between the bass drum and snare drum and it was a lot of fun and it kind of drew the line the connection between what we're doing now which is very kind of chattery the snare drum bass drum and yes. contemporary playing style is very chattery which I think directly relates to bebop comping just taking Agreed. out the swing feel Right. So you could take those exactly. exercises and just think of them in straight feel as 16th notes and kind of an up-tempo drum and bass thing. And again, it's like right. choose your own adventure. Where do you want to take this stuff? Love it. Well, in this case, I don't want the book to end as quickly as possible. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to episode 114. Thanks for supporting this podcast. <clears throat> and if you can, give us a little review or some five stars up on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. Mike and I truly appreciate it. So everyone, go out there, practice, have an amazing week, and we will see you next time.